Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. We are continuing to look at First and Second Peter, um, and uh, so we went through verse by verse in the first chapter, and we got through the first ballpark 15 verses. We went verse by verse, exegetically and exponentially. And I love the kind of teaching. I don't know if everybody's into it, but there's so much doctrine in the in these two epistles of Peter that you can't just do a drive-by reading. We, we talked about last week, his salutation is so full of doctrine. It's just like, man, that's why we believe that. Right there it is. Right there it is. So we don't have time to go over all that. We spent an hour on the first 15 verses. But if you'll go to First Peter in verse 15, um, that's pretty much where we ended. We, we spoke on verse 15 and 16, but um, I think it's kind of cool because we left on a, a big challenge. Uh, um, we know that when Moses was, uh, when God was downloading uh, the law to Moses, he, he used this quote, be holy like I'm holy. You, what? You, you're, you're telling me to be holy like a holy God. And it seems impossible on my best day. So I, I kind of hit a speed bump there and, and we began to discuss it. But um, be holy as I am holy, for I am holy. Verse 16. Um, so keep your finger there and flip over to 2 Corinthians. And I just want to discuss it. Distinguish a difference of something before we get too far. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys know this verse as well. Those of you who have been in church for a long time know all kinds of verses. Knowing something and doing something is a long way apart. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 Are you there? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You guys know that. It's referring to Jesus, of course. He he never committed any sin, but he made him sin. He lathered him in sin. I, I just picture him... In my mind's eye, I can't tell you how God did it, but in my eyes, uh, I can see God just pouring all the sins of the world upon Him. And I don't know how a body can contain all the sins of all the people that ever lived. But somehow God imparted all that onto a perfect Jesus. Now, the second part of that verse, though, that I want you to see, you guys know this, but... We might become the righteousness of God in Him. In Him is key. We know, we've talked about this before, that anytime you see the words in Christ, 
generally it's always referring to a fixed position. It's not talking that you bumped into Him. It's staying in there. We're righteous in Him. In Christ is the only way that we're righteous. So we ended on being holy. I wanted to kind of discuss the difference between holiness and righteousness. There's a... These are tater salad words that preachers use and people that have been in the way, I mean, in the church for a long time, say that uh, righteousness and holiness, and we kind of all lump them together. It's all a good thing, whatever they want to say, however vernacular they want to use. I want to kind of break down the difference between the two. So, I'm going to use Dave as a uh, prop tonight, and I'm going to try to show you something. This... Dave is going to be my righteousness. Alright? Now, give me a second to explain this. Give me a... (laughs) Dave is stepping up on a little stool. And uh, my righteousness is in Christ. When you get saved, you take on His attributes and He takes on all your junk and you take on all His good. It's a crazy exchange. You can't find that anywhere else. But I have righteousness in Christ. So when I get born again, I take on His righteousness. It's not because I got it all together. I'm a long way from there, right? But um, really, let's understand what righteousness is. Righteousness is rightness with God. That means it is a positional thing. So God sets me right. It's, It's a location I'm standing right with Jesus. I'm, I'm in right standing with God. Not because of anything but grace. Now when we talk about staying in a position, we've got to preface it with saying we teach grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. I want you to understand that. But there is a standing, a positioning in Christ. That's righteousness. Um... It's a location. It's a rightness. This is what God sees. The bad thing about righteousness, even though it's not ours, we have the right to get out of position. So, there's days when I ain't feeling that right. I'm not putting myself in line, and I go wondering, come back here, righteousness. Now, get back right. Get back where you're supposed to be. You've all done that. You've all said, I know when I'm right with God. I know in my heart that I'm not perfect, but my heart is right with God. But then there's days you wake up on the wrong side, and you're like, you know what? This positioning stuff, I'm just going to kind of wonder. It's not that God stopped loving me. It's not that His mercy stops. But I'm going to wonder. I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm going to take myself out of position. This righteousness is a position. It's important because this is where you're going to produce your fruit. This is where you're going to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. This is very important to the life of a Christian. There's going to be times when you have to position yourself. What am I talking about? I'm talking about keeping ourselves tuned. Keeping ourselves... You know the Bible verse that says, I'm going to live my life as a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable service. You know the Bible verse that says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. There is disciplines 
preach all the grace you want, but there's disciplines along with that grace. And righteousness, keeping yourself in a position of rightness with God, is up to you. His blood is what makes it happen. His goodness, His unmerited favor. But you need to keep yourself in position because there's another power. Stay right there if you would for just a moment. Uh, We just read the Bible said, Be holy like I'm holy, right? So now I'm going to show you something. I'm going to be... (laughs) I'm going to be holiness for just a minute. Now, holiness is a big tater salad word, right? We, We know that it's what... Holiness basically means separate. Some scholars say it means to cut off of, to be a separate thing. You know the Bible verse says, come out from among them and be a separate people. Holiness, as we understand it, the holiness movement, what do you think when I say holiness? What do you think? I know what you all thinking right now. Skirts, buns, buns. right. So the, <laughs> the way that, that we understand holiness, what, what really is holiness is coming out and being separate. But, God sees your righteousness, but the world sees what we, in today's contemporary understanding, sees holiness. And holiness are things such as your vocabulary, your appearance, your attitude, your habits, your actions, your reactions. This is what God sees. This is what people see. So there's a difference between your righteousness and your holiness. Your, your, this is your outward conduct. This, these, your holiness, your outward conduct is the jokes you tell and that you laugh at. Your holiness is the way you express God. Your holiness is your demonstration of the attributes of Jesus. Your holiness is what people see. Your righteousness is what God sees. Can I, can I sum up your holiness really is a lifestyle projection of your righteousness? Have you ever started wondering and you weren't feeling like being in line with God that day, but you still want everybody to thank you all this? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people trying to show a holiness expression, but they haven't spent time in the prayer. They haven't spent time in God. And their righteousness, even though we don't get it on our own, wanes. Our priorities change. And we still want everybody to think, we're, going to, we're still going to say the right words. We know all the Christian words. Have you ever found out how tough it is when you're not really right with God? Not that you're out committing adultery and murdering people, but you know if you are right and tight with God. And when that wanes, have you ever noticed how hard it is to do these things? How hard it is to talk right when you ain't been with God? I mean, you know how bad your attitude stinks when you ain't spent time with God? But we don't want anybody to know that our prayer closet has suffered, so we're going to go around saying Christian words. We're going to dress the Christian way. Our actions and our reactions change real quick when we haven't been in right standing. Now again, I want you to understand, it's not what you do that puts you in right standing, 
but it's in a fixed position where you receive the goodness of God. It's not that you're on your way to hell when you don't spend time with God. But why would you want to be away from everything He offers you? And you know what I'm talking about. So, I can tell you people that God's loved, but they walked away from being in right standing with Him. I think of the children of Israel. He loved them. He supplied everything for them. I want water. Okay, I'll give you water. I want food. Okay, I'll give you manna. That's not enough. I want quail. Okay, I'll give you quail. I'm hot. I'll give you shade. I'm cold. I'll give you fire. But they never walked into their promise. Why? Because instead of staying right with God, they started wondering, building false gods, complaining and murmuring. Okay, I think they got it. Thanks, man. So, when he says be holy, I want you to think about what it is you're expressing. In reality, you can only express what's going on internally. But man, there's a lot of great actors in the body of Christ that says, you know what? The last time I prayed was Sunday. But I know I shouldn't say that, so I'm not going to. Problem is, when you operate out of your will and determination, you will face plant very soon. Because I've done it. I've tried to live on good old knowledge, and knowledge didn't take me anywhere. It worked for a day, and then the next day I'm ready to go postal on people. So, you got to keep yourself in right standing. And again, I, I want to express that it's, it's, there's a difference between being a sinful life and keeping yourself right and tight. There, uh, I'm not talking about loose living, but I'm also understanding that grace will cover you. It's, it's not something you earn. But you know in your heart if you're keeping that communication open with God. You've got to keep yourself... Because righteousness is what is acceptable to God. I can think about Cain, the first murderer. I can think about Korah. I can think about the children of Israel. God loved all of those, but they were interested in keeping things right. And they suffered the consequences. So, holiness takes a whole lot of effort if you're not in right standing. Because then it becomes an act. And if we, if we could put a, every church person on a lie detector machine, we would be shocked. If you, <laughs> you're like, how many people have you told off this week? You know, How many times have you let your light shine? Now, somehow... We want to produce uh, things that are understood as holiness. And this is the problem with the holiness movement as we know it. Okay, I keep saying that. Is you need to dress right. You need to speak this way. You need to wear this. Go here, don't go there. Go here, don't go there. And they're so concerned with the externals, but most of them are venomous on the inside if they haven't spent time with God. But they put their clothes on and don't want you to know that. It's no different from us. We can point a finger at uh, any community and say they're sideways. But it's really no different. Why? Because you still come to church when you jacked up inside. And, and I'm glad you do. This is where you need to be. But there's so much pride. So, in essence, 
Our righteousness will be your barometer for your attitude. You spend time with God, you're going to be more cool than when you don't. Try to show the love of Christ when you haven't been with Him. It's really hard to imitate somebody you don't spend time with. Um, Now, this is what happens. is When you try to produce righteousness with your determination and your effort, as honorable as they may be, Isaiah 64 tells us, Isaiah 64, 6. I, yeah, you flip over there. And believe it or not, we're still in First Peter. I know, I just... Isaiah 64, 6. This is a heavy word. Do you... S- Isaiah 64, 6. Everybody's flipping there. So will I. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The prophet Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, our efforts to be right, are as filthy rags. I uh, wrestled with explaining what the term filthy rags mean and I think some of you may know let me tell you what the prophet Isaiah is telling you about you and your efforts trying to be perfect for God the word filthy rags there has a connotation of feminine hygiene products That is what it means by filthy rags. Now, what, we're, what, what Isaiah is saying is your efforts, that's what it looks like to God. You cannot be righteous unless you are righteous through Christ. You cannot be in right standing on your own efforts. But we've become so good at it. Because most people talk to Jesus once in a while, but are we fixed in Jesus? That's a tall order. That means I'm consistently in Christ. I'm in the, I'm in the place He wants me to be in my mind, in my spirit, in, in my motives. I'm in that place. I'm in that sweet spot where I'm acceptable to God. So... It's important to keep yourself in there. Now, that was just two verses that we that we ended off of last week. Um, you know why you're not perfect? You're not perfect because two imperfect people gave birth to you. Your mama and your daddy, they may be saints of the Lord, but they wasn't perfect. So back to 1 Peter. You know why your kids are goofy? Because you're goofy. They would just be perfect, you know, we'd all be cruising, right? Let's look at verse 17. 
And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's own work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Verse 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. We mentioned this last week. Peter, or one of Peter's disciples, or Peter's secretary, Peter is writing to these Christians that are scattered. During this time, Christians are being pulled behind horses. They're being boiled alive. They're being burned at the stake. Being a Christian is not a good, is not a good thing in this setting. They're scattered everywhere. They're kind of in pockets. And it's mentioned in verse 1 here. And he's talking to them. They're hiding for their lives in some regards. And Peter has the audacity to talk to them about their attitudes and their conducts. Now, do you see the difference in culture? If you think you've been persecuted because someone says, I don't want to hear about Jesus, sorry honey, that's not persecution. That's a rough day. That's maybe a little tiny rejection. Um, I've never been pulled behind a horse because I've named the name of Jesus. I've never been boiled alive. I've never been set, set on fire at the stake. Nero was a bad man. Just do, do some history reading about the setting of this right here. This is about 64 A.D. So this Jesus movement... Nero paints them as an occult. They get together, talk about drinking this dude's blood. They talk about eating. They talk about eating his body. Communion. They 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 greet each other with a holy kiss. He gets it all twisted, and he has a campaign against Christianity. He sets things on fire and says the Christians did it. He's framing them. This is a bad scene. And during all this, Peter's talking to the people that are scattered throughout that region. So. He's saying, conduct yourself through this time that you're here in fear. In reverence to God, conduct yourself. Now listen, guys, we have we live in the freest country in the world. It blows my mind, God forgive us all. Because if we have trouble living this now, what chance... Do you have, <laughs> if things get turned up, and when they get turned up, or if you are in a different culture in a different time, if you think it's hard to live for Jesus in sweet old USA, my God. And I put myself in that too. I digress. Conduct yourselves. Watch your attitudes. Because you're only here for a minute. In the light of eternity, if you live to be 110, it's a bleep on the radar to eternal life. Paul's going to get into some suffering talk. He's going to get into talking. You think you, you, you think you got it rough? I want you to remember some of the sufferings that Jesus went through. And, and he's going to go through this in his two letters. Um, verse 18, 
knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your forefathers. Listen, their daddies and their great-great-granddaddies were the ones that took that trip through the wilderness. They taught them a lot of great traditions. But now, this is after Jesus. So Peter's saying, now look, you're, you're redeemed with incorruptibility. Verse 18, another doctrine right here, suggests that Mary has to be a virgin. Don't just think that's a stand. That's important. <laughs> I don't know if you thought that's just that's a debatable church thing or not. It's not. Um, <laughs> I don't know how far to go into that, but if Jesus was born of Joseph, you would have a corruptible mama and a corruptible daddy making a corruptible baby. That's where we're all from. <laughs> Jesus was different. His, his, uh, he's from the loins of the Holy Spirit and from a virgin mama. It's important. And, and that's a whole other thing that, that we won't go into. But it's amazing to me, just in a few verses, we, He's already talked about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's already talked about um, regeneration. He's already talking about being holy, conducting yourself. He's already talked about righteousness. And we're on verse 18. What? Come on. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Is everyone here a parent? I think everybody here probably is, yes? Now, go back in time with me for a moment to the first moment you found out that you was going to be a mama or a daddy. Some of you have to go way back. <laughs> the very first time that you had an awareness that you're going to be a mama and you're going to be a daddy for your firstborn. Isn't it amazing? Now, maybe that's just happened to Gina and I. Isn't it amazing the people that come out of the woodwork that begin to paint this bleak picture, oh my God. And I love this term. I just want to smack people in the teeth. When they would say, you just wait. And I'm like, dude, she's two months pregnant. And you come out of the woodwork with your nasty attitude. I'm excited. I'm pumped. But here you come, Mr. Know-it-all. I just want to smack people like that. Don't do that around the newborn or an expectant mother around me because I will correct you. I will gladly do it. If you get embarrassed, I'll pray about it later. But you know how frustrating your kids can be. All the stages you go through. You know how sometimes you want to pull every hair out of your head. And sometimes you have to, when they're little, you have to protect them from outsiders. When they get a little older, you have to protect them from themselves. But I have a question for you all. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? All the junk they put you through, all the stuff, all... <laughs> I know you're thinking of something right now. Now, let's go back to that moment you found out you're pregnant. You know that you could, by law, abort that baby. You could give it up for adoption. 
You can say, let's make this problem go away because it's inconvenient. And of all the junk they've brought you through, was it worth it? Okay, I think it's safe to assume yes. When whatever age, I don't care if they're toddlers and they're sweet and beautiful, or if they're grown people with their own kids, when they hug you and say, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Mama, it's all worth it. All the junk, all the money, all the cost, all the energy expent, it's worth it. Go with me to creation for a moment. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You don't, you don't have to flip there if you don't want to. Genesis 1, 26. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit are together. And God says, let us make men in our own image after our own likeness. Genesis 1, 26. You guys remember the story? Then if we flip over a chapter to Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now, keep that thought in your mind. Go to verse 20 with me right here where we're at. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. God decides to make man. Let's look at verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days to you. I want you to think about this, and maybe you haven't. That Jesus was not... A plan B. Jesus was not a result of God doing damage control to sinful mankind. He was foreordained before the foundations of the earth. Check this. God is building this man in the dirt. What did we say last week? If God is all-knowing, then there's nothing God can learn. Remember that? We talked about that last week. If God's truly all-knowing, and He is, there's nothing you can teach Him. There's nothing that can surprise Him. God's got His hands, I'm going to say, in the, in the dirt because He's forming this man. Knowing the whole time He's making this man, this man that I'm making, that I'm going to give dominion, that I'm going to breathe into, He's going to need a Savior. That blows my mind. Because I've come from the point of view, Adam and Eve, those dodos messed up. Jesus had to go, uh, God had to go back to the drawing board. What can I do? Oh my goodness. This is a shocker. He was foreordained before the foundations of the world. I'm sorry, that blows me away. That's food for thought. While he's making man, filling him with his glory and his power and dominion he knew while they were making man he's going to need a redeemer here's the thing the reason I ask you was you having your babies worth it he still made him 
That's how much He loves us. Because Jesus was foreordained. He wasn't waiting in the wings saying, well, we've got a mess on our hands. Jesus, you better go die to get me back with my family. Because I've got to be honest, that has been my mindset for many years. Oh, this is the contingency plan. This is, okay, what do I got to do to, to reunite man and God? I, I got to put Jesus into the mix somehow. He knew while He was making Him. I'm sorry, maybe that doesn't blow your mind. But it blows my mind. <laughs> it, it blows my mind that Jesus is not a reaction to your sin. That's awesome to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just geeked out about Bible verses, but... Uh, yeah. There was a country song that was popular years ago. Garth Brooks sang it called The Dance. And the, the, the lyrics to the song suggest... In the end, he starts from the end. And he says, I lost you. But I would have missed all the good times we had together. If I knew how it would end, I may have stopped it from the beginning. But I would have missed the dance. Really cool sentiment to that song. When you had that baby in that crib, and, the, and when, before they could get me and talk back, you, <laughs> you looked at him and you said, Man, this is going to be the world's best kid. And then they grow up, and get a smart mouth in their own mind. But now... It's still worth it. That's how awesome God's love is to us. He knew that because He gave us free will, He didn't weigh the odds and think there's a chance. If God's all-knowing, He's never surprised. He knew. Was it our best move? Of course not. Put us. We painted ourselves into a corner. But you believed in Him because uh, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that you would have your faith and your hope are in God. Verse 22 is kind of cool. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Think about that. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. I originally was going to call this um, this study faith additives because when we get to Second Peter, he comes off swinging about adding stuff to your faith. Never really thought about that. I thought faith is faith. I believe in Jesus. I got faith. Here he's talking about you can purify your soul <laughs> through obeying the truth. Let me explain again. It's the blood of Jesus plus nothing. But there are things you can do to position yourself. There are things you can do to help keep yourself clean as a vessel before God. There's things that you can do to make your life better. And there's things you can do to make your life hard. Going to heaven both ways. You can do this the hard way. (laughs) Or you can do it God's way. Free will gets in my way all the time. 
Verse 23, we kind of touched on this, but having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. You know, do you remember, I think it's John chapter 3, Nicodemus sneaks away because he's, he's on the Sanhedrin court. He's a, he's a top shot Pharisee. He's like, look, Jesus, it's dark. The boys are back at camp. I've got to talk to you because I'm kind of interested in you. And old Nick hangs out with Jesus in the dark time. And he's like, what do I got to do to be born again, Jesus? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And this straight trips him out. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to go back into my mama's womb and be born again. And Jesus says, no, you've got to be born of spirit and of water. And unless you're born again, you've got problems. So... Um, Born again. Your first birth, you had a pretty rough limit, pretty rough lineage. I don't care if your mom and dad are saints. I don't care if they're with Jesus singing right now. They had some traits that they passed on to you in your DNA. They gave you some predispositions. They gave you some tendencies. Um, how many times have you heard the term, it runs in the family? Everything, everything from cancer to temper. I mean, it runs in the family. There are, there are certain dispositions biologically and psychologically and modeling that was done in front of you that suggest I'm going to have a propensity to go this way and it's going to take all of Jesus to keep me from going in that ditch. Um, your second birth, your father was perfect. Everybody that is on their way to heaven has had two births. Me, actually, I probably had 57, uh, (laughs) according to my preacher growing up. But I got born again and born again and born again and born again. That was my understanding, at least at the time. Um, So it took a perfect Jesus to pay my price. Remember the the Old Testament... When uh, you really messed up, you could go back to Job. Remember how many times he, he was constantly sacrificing to God. Sacrificing for me, him and his babies. Man, God, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice. Just keep me and my babies covered. Because back then it was atonement. Remember we talked about that. That's just covering. It's still there, but they're smearing on it. Remember the Passover? Well, there's, there, there's, there's people in here that aren't perfect, but there's a blood over the doorpost. If you messed up on the Day of Atonement, on that time of year, you brought your lamb in there, the priest wouldn't sit down and have a one-on-one with you through a little quiet thing and say, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I have done this, I have done this, I looked at her, I thought this, I said that to him. That's not what happened. The priest didn't even really care so much about you. He said, give me your sacrifice. I'm not inspecting you. I'm inspecting your sacrifice. So he takes the lamb and he looks over every square inch. You jacked up. But I don't care about you. I want to know what you're sacrificing. Because what you sacrifice is what's going to cover your ugly. That's why Jesus had to be perfect. That Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world had to be perfect. That is why you are of an incorruptible seed. 
See, don't just let these words... Don't, don't just do drive-by readings and think there's no power in them. I get excited. Um, the most powerful thing about you is not your abilities, it's not your opinion, it's not your personality. As likable as you may be, the most powerful thing about you is what's living on the inside of you. If we could wrap our heads around a holy God that can make is so he's so powerful that he can make us holy. As jacked up as our thinking is, he is so powerful that when he looks at you, he don't see you. He sees the blood. In your ugly, he looks down and says, Yeah, I've already made a sacrifice for them and they're ugly. He took stripes on his back. The peace they need, I chastised him. The sins they need forgiven, he bled out and died. No matter how jacked up they were, that covers it all. <laughs> and, and, and we think it's difficult to keep our attitudes in check. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Because all flesh, verse 24, is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass, and the grass withers in it, and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's a quote from Isaiah. Now this is the word by the gospel was preached to you. Here we go again, guys. He's basically saying your self-effort does not impress God. Because you know what? The day you were born, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be negative. You start growing. But then, it's a start to an end. These bodies are getting a little slower every year. Recovering a little slower. The bounce back time play a lot of basketball with the young guys it's not just sore the next day it's sore for a few days <laughs> if you fall and twist or yank or strain something it doesn't pop right back in place like when you was 18 your body I hate to be the bearer of bad news but it's decaying by nature your wrinkles your sunspots your gray hair or lack thereof <laughs> supports this understanding that's what he's saying, the grass withers. And even you, even in all the stuff you do right, even though you may be a flower, the flower dies just like the grass. I know every year I've got to go out to the front walk and, and they get real funky smelling. They just, they're beautiful. All the, you know, beautiful, I don't know what they call in the front of the house, the things that, no, the flowers. Anyways, there's these cool flowers. And and they're orange, and they uh, after a while they they're really cool for just a short time, and then they they do this, and then they turn brown, and they get limp, and then they start putting out this funky odor. I'm like, 
who opened the trash can? And I keep walking by because the trash can's over in that area too. And it just finally withers and it starts rotting from the root up. And, and that's what happens when we try to be self-righteous. That's what happens in the nature, natural course of a corruptible seed. So I don't want to end on a bad, bad note like that. But here's the good thing is, your spirit will never die, it will never tarnish, it will never slow down. And one of these days, we're going to get a body that's going to match our spirit, and it's party on then, right? Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.